All right, good morning, good morning. It's good to be here with you. I feel like we've got a little bit of extra energy in the room this morning. It turns out an hour, an extra hour of sleep does a lot of good. So we're glad that you guys are here this morning. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online. So glad that you can stay engaged. All the folks who are outside and then obviously everybody who's in the room this morning. We are so, so grateful for you. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden Church. And today we are launching a brand new series. If you are new to the conversation here at Eden Church, a series is just a collection of talks that we spread out over several weeks, and then we focus on a topic, a theme, or a passage from Scripture that we apply to our everyday lives. And the goal is that in our obedience, the belief is that in our obedience, God is going to grow our faith. And so as you've heard, we're launching this series. Today is for the future. I heard a quote recently, and it said that what we do today determines who we become tomorrow. What we do today determines who we become tomorrow. I thought that it was a helpful reminder for me that every moment we have in the present is an opportunity to begin building a better future, which means that if we want to be more patient with our children or more committed to our faith or more skilled in our craft or more in love with our spouse or more in tune with our purpose in the future, it is going to be determined based on the decisions that we make today. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in this series. We're going to be learning how to be faithful now, learning how to be faithful now so that we can be fruitful in the future, learning to be faithful now so that we can be fruitful in the future. I don't know about you, but I love watching and being around faithful people. And I don't know that if that's like counterintuitive to what it seems like the values of our culture. Sometimes I look out and it seems like uh, faithfulness is not the virtue or the value that it used to be in our culture. And it seems like it's so easy to quit relationships, easy to quit commitments for just about any reason. But I also think that it's hard to be faithful in our culture when it is so easy to compare our lives to everyone else. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's real easy. It used to be you just had to look down your block, and if you could beat, beat out the 10 neighbors to your right and 10 neighbors to your left, if you were where they were in life, you were doing all right. But now we have access to social media, and we have access to people's lives, and it's so easy to compare ourselves, our real life, to someone else's highlight reel. Did you know that, right? Social media is not anybody's real life. Okay, it's other people's highlight reel, but it's so easy to feel unfaithful, to be unfaithful to what is in front of us when it's so easy to compare ourselves to everyone else. And so when I see faithful people, it inspires me. I had a friend that I grew up with. Uh, we played Pop Warner football together. He was the quarterback and he literally took our team all the way to the Pop Warner National Championship. You probably didn't even know there was a national championship for little kids in football, but there was. And I'll be honest, I did not, I was not a contributor. I was a consumer on that team, okay? I was part of the group of kids who would have to roll around in the dirt after the game to try to convince our parents that we actually played in the game. All right, my jersey was clean. But he was amazing. He was a star quarterback of that team, and he also played basketball. He took our high school team to the state championship, but he was an even better baseball player. He eventually got a scholarship to play baseball at a Division I uh, school, 
And, and I remember one day as I was in college, I was walking from my bedroom to the, ki- to the kitchen, and my roommate was watching the World Series in the living room, and I heard the name, Troy Tulowitzki for the Colorado Rockies. And I thought, that is the kid that I grew up with. He was playing baseball in the World Series. And I thought from the time that he was a child, all the way through high school, and all the way through college, into adulthood, he stayed faithful to this dream of playing professional baseball. It inspires me. But I'm also inspired by families who fight to do the right thing even when times get hard, or by business owners who uh, reinvent themselves to stay relevant, or parents who sacrifice to give their kids a better life, or young adults who are working hard to follow Jesus in really challenging times. It is inspiring to be faithful, to believe that what you're doing today is going to produce the type of life you want in the future. And so today we're going to talk about the power of being faithful. We're going to be in the New Testament this morning, which is the second half of the Bible, the part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church. And we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be looking at one of my favorite chapters in the entire New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 is also known as the Hall of Faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it begins to list out every major influencer in the Old Testament. And what I love about this chapter is that it is not highlighting these people from the Old Testament because of the number of followers they had, but it highlights them because of the type of faith they had. And so this morning, we're going to look at the true story of a guy named Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says that it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was living at a really unique time in human history. There were a lot of bad things going on, and God warned him. God said, if you want to save your family, you're going to have to build a boat. And I love these little moments in Scripture where we're reminded of God's character and the way that he relates to his people because uh, maybe you didn't know this, but we do serve a God. We are connected to a God who looks out for us. I don't know if you have a friend uh, who looks out for you before you go to that party. They tell you you got a booger in your nose, right? They're looking out for you. You got something in your teeth. You got mascara running, girl, right? You got people who look out for you. That, that, that is a little picture, not an accurate picture, but a little picture of the heart of God. God is always looking out for us. And I imagine that there are some people tuning in today, a part of the conversation right now, that need to be reminded of that truth. That there is a God who sees you. And I imagine that there are some of us who have been calling out to God, reaching out to God, praying to God, wondering if he even sees you in your situation. And the answer is yes. And what we have found is that in those moments when we are crying out to God, God is doing one of two things. God is either working on your situation or he's working the situation in you. He's either working on the external or he's working on the internal. And so we can have confidence that God sees us, but God is looking out for Noah And he tells him, you've got to build a boat. But there were a few caveats. The boat that God told Noah to build was huge. It was one and a half football fields length, about 500 feet long. 
but it was about 500 yards long. It was about, it was about 50 feet tall, and it was extremely complex. There were like literally three levels of this boat that he was trying to build. And, and the reality is, is that it was not like Noah could just go to Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up some prefabricated lumber. It was a process. Secondly, it had never rained up until this point in world history. Passage says that God warned him about things that had never happened before. The way many scholars interpret this passage is that Noah was asked to build a boat before it had ever rained. Another way of interpreting the passage is before it had ever flooded to this degree. But that's a lot of faith. Many scholars, thirdly, believe that it took Noah 50 years to build this boat. And I think it must have looked so ridiculous to everybody else who saw Noah on that first day starting to chop some wood and fashion some nails and start hammering those pieces of wood together and build that boat. People are like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? And Noah's like, I'm just building a boat. And they said, why are you building a boat? And he said, because it's going to rain and flood. And they're like, what are you talking about rain? And what are you talking about flooding? They probably just rolled their eyes at Noah. But that is always how vision looks when it's just starting out. Right? It never. Vision in our mind is always grand and wonderful. But when you start laying the foundation of what you hope to build, it never looks impressive to anyone who doesn't see the vision themselves. And this story reminds me of the early days of Eden. It was about seven years ago when, we, when God began forming this vision inside of us about a church that we wanted to start in Silicon Valley. Kayla and I were on staff. I was on staff at a mega church in Central California, and we felt God calling us, so we left the church, and we planted Eden, but I quit my job. And for 18 months, we began to share this vision with over 200 organizations, hoping that some of them would see the opportunity that we saw for a church like the one that we envisioned. And I'm telling you, there were moments of great faith in the process where we would go to bed at night filled with this vision, this idea that God was going to start this wonderful community of people. But there were also moments of extreme doubt and fear. And oftentimes, those moments of doubt were tied to people who were really discouraging that we allowed to speak in the process. And it wasn't because they were trying to be discouraging. It's because they couldn't see what we believed God had put in our hearts. And so when we begin to share this vision about a church that didn't exist in an area like Silicon Valley, it probably looked pathetic to a lot of them. And I imagine that there are some of us here this morning that are in a season of life where we are trying to pursue a better future for ourselves. We're trying to make changes in our life. And you have probably talked to people who have been discouraging to you at some point on that path. They have questioned your motivation. Uh, they have distracted you. And what happens so often as we are like on this journey of faith is that as we try to go closer to God and do what God is calling us to do in our life, we oftentimes find an equal amount of resistance to the path of faithfulness. And what could begin to happen as you run into one barrier after the other, after the other, is that that vision that you once had that was so clear in the beginning of your journey begins to leak over time. But what I love is that Noah didn't quit. That Noah continued to be faithful to the task that was in front of him. He just kept chopping wood. 
He just kept fashioning those nails and he just kept building that boat. And in a sense, that has sort of been our model for this church. It's sort of how it has worked for us. We started with nothing and by God's grace, we had one partner step in. They said, we believe in the vision. Another partner stepped in. And I remember how full of faith we were when people uh, begin to invest in this community. And so we started having some resources, but we didn't have any people. And so we started casting vision to a few leaders to prayerfully consider helping us start this church. And one after the other said, yes, we're down, which was a miracle in itself. Because who wants to help start a church that doesn't exist? And then we started hosting services and people started coming and then people started giving and then people started serving and then people started sacrificing. And over the last four and a half years, it feels like we've just been chopping wood and shaping nails and building the church. And so when we see people getting started in a community like the Bay Area, we do not despise humble beginnings because so much of it wasn't glamorous from the beginning. And I'm going to tell you right now, so much of it is not glamorous now. I think about that one time when we flipped a trailer on the freeway, on the way to church. We didn't have a trailer for church. Some of you look at Mark and you think he's just this innocent dove. <laughs> but he's not. Mark has a record. The first time he tried to drive trailers, he got pulled over by the police. They said, what church are you from? We said, we're from the big one down the street. Just, just go ahead and put this on their tab. No, we didn't say that. But it was my fault. I was training Mark. But I think about the time when we were in a neighborhood that wasn't as safe, and we had five cop cars pull into our parking lot during the service, chasing someone on our campus. And I'm standing there looking at all these cop cars through the window, and I'm just thinking, should I tell people not to turn around? <laughs> and then I think of some of our leaders and our volunteers who showed up week after week cleaning up bathrooms, nasty stuff going on just to prepare a place for people to connect with God. And every week it feels like we have just been chopping trees, chopping wood, fashioning nails, and building this vision. And what God is teaching us is that being faithful is what it takes to be fruitful. And maybe that's the season of life you're in right now. You don't have the job that you want. You're not financially where you want to be. You haven't hit your fitness goals. That's okay. Just keep showing up to work. Keep getting up for the gym. Keep being present in your kid's life. Keep learning more about your spouse. Keep investing in your faith. Keep developing your craft. Just keep chopping wood and fashioning nails and becoming who God created you to be. As I learned yesterday... During my first appearance back at the gym in a very long time with my guy Joe, that being faithful or, or that formation is about faithfulness. That if you are going to be formed, you've got to be faithful first. And for 50 years, that was Noah's calling in his life to wake up, to chop wood, to fashion nails, and to build that stinking boat. And there were days that I imagined that were so cold outside, he didn't want to get up and chop that wood. And there were days that were so hot outside that he didn't want to fashion those nails. And there were days that he was tired and worn out and discouraged, had a hurting body, and he didn't want to build that boat. But in every season, over the course of 50 years, he had to keep showing up 
and being faithful if he was going to do what God called him to do. This is what it tells us in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. It said, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. After 50 years of faithfulness to the vision that God had given him, he finished building the boat, and the rains poured, and the floods came, and everything in its path was destroyed. And I don't think that Noah could have really understood what hung in the balance of his faithfulness every day as he was building that boat for 50 years. But in that moment, he realized it. Because he spared his family. And what you are probably learning, just like I have been learning over the, over the course of this church and over the course of my life, that all the really good things in life, all the rich things that we hope will be true about who we are at the end of our life, require you to be faithful. Year after year after year after year. I think about True Hope Community Church. This is a church that owns this property. And over the last several months, we've been in a conversation and in the process of bringing two churches under one vision. This church has been a staple in this community for over 50 years. It began as First Baptist Church of Campbell. And about a decade ago, they changed their name to True Hope. And I think about Pastor Leachy. You may not have noticed this, but as you walk through the doors of this church, there's a plaque to my right and your left that is commemorated to the pastor that was part of helping get this church off the ground. And I think about how he cast vision for his community 50 years ago to purchase some property in an orchard field where there were no neighborhoods and where there were no businesses, believing in faith that God would use their resources to reach people with the hope and love of Jesus beyond their own generation. And I doubt that they could have ever imagined what would hang in the balance of their faithfulness during that time. That two churches someday would come together and the sacrifice they made 50 years ago would position our church today to be a lighthouse in this community for decades to come. But every person in that community had to make the decision on whether or not they would be faithful in the moment so that they could be fruitful for the future. And I think it's so interesting that we are the recipients of their sacrifice and we will never know who they are. But from their perspective, they were sacrificing 50 years ago for people they would never meet. And I believe that we have the privilege of stepping into a moment like this right now here in our church. If you remember, it was about 12 months ago, around this time, that we launched our end-of-the-year giving campaign. And we had two goals. We wanted to go deep and we wanted to go wide. Wide meant that it was time for us to start maturing as a church. For the first few years of our church, a lot of what we were doing was leveraging the resources of other churches who financially started partnering with us. And so a lot of what we were doing was operating on their budget. But last year, and I remember how, how meaningful that was because there were, they weren't, these, they weren't all big churches. 
Some of these were these little country podunk churches in the middle of nowhere that had a leaky roof and a leaky faucet that could have put money into their own property, but they were about the kingdom of God spreading in other areas that they decided to invest the resources that they could to get the message of hope in an area like Silicon Valley. And I remember being so inspired by their generosity. And and we thought, when we get to that point, we want to be a generous church like they were. And so last year, for the first time, we helped start four new churches in the Silicon Valley because of your generosity. And we didn't just partner with four churches, but we set aside a benevolence fund. We started partnering with local Bay Area ministries that were doing good in the name of Jesus in our city. We started supporting our neighborhood and local schools, all because of your generosity. We wanted to go deep. We wanted to go wide last year. And then we said we wanted to go deep. And what that meant for us is that we felt like we were at a season in the life of our church where it was time to start laying roots in our community. If you were part of Eden from the early days, you know that within the first three months of the launch of our church, we had, we had inhabited three separate locations. That's not a good thing, okay? That was really challenging. And then we moved again and we moved again. And we felt like it was time for us to, to start praying that God would find us a place to be a hub of ministry for this church for years to come. And this is what we did. We cast vision about that. And my thinking is that based on some of the economic challenges that we faced last year, real estate was going to be cheap this year. I was wrong. Obviously, I was wrong. And the reality is that we were not going to raise enough money to actually buy a piece of property. But what we said is we said, God, we want this to be a seed investment for what we believe you can do. And we raised $36,000 set aside for a permanency fund. Not too long after that, John and I, the pastor of this church, started having conversations about what it would look like for our two churches to become, to become one. And so they opened generously, this church generously opened up their space to us. And we began meeting here. But what happened is we took that $36,000 and we started investing it into parts of this property that needed a little bit of lipstick on it. And so we painted the little foyer out here, and then we put some new carpet in our kids' space and painted around there. And what we realized is that every time we fixed up a space, God kept filling it with more ministry opportunity. And every time we used that money that you sacrificed last year to fix up a space, God kept using it to change lives. And let me share with you what that looked like in the middle of a global pandemic. We started two new ministries this year, an Eden Youth and an Eden Espanol. Never existed before. We have had more people making decisions to begin following Jesus over this last year, 75 people so far. We have more people getting into groups than have ever gotten into groups before, 115 unique people in this last semester. We have had more baptisms than ever before. before. We have had 17 baptisms this year. Last week... Last week, we had 180 people engage on a Sunday morning service live. This is not us bragging about what we have done. This is bragging about what God has decided to do through this church. And this is the pattern that we have seen, is every time we stretch our faith for a better future, God chooses to use it to change lives. 
And this year, during our For the Future end of the year campaign offering, we're not just going to go deep, but we're going to go deeper. And we're not going to just go wide, but we're going to go wider. And we have a few goals. Our first goal is we are praying for 100% participation from everyone who calls Eden Church home. If you are a guest here this morning, this little next part is not for you. We want you to come, receive, absorb the goodness that is coming uh, out of this church. But if you call Eden Church your home, we want to challenge you to begin laying roots in this community, begin getting some skin in the game. We do not believe that there is any one person who can do it all, but we have found that we are at our best when everybody does something. And we want every person to feel like they have ownership over the miracles that we are going to see happen through the obedience and faithfulness through this church. We want to be able to tell stories next year, 12 months from now, about what God has done over the last 12 months. And we want everyone who is here today to be able to feel like they were part of that, that they were part of investing in the future of this church, part of investing in something that was bigger than themselves. And so our primary goal is 100% participation. Our secondary goal is to raise $150,000 between now and December 5th. See, that's where it gets silent. This is where, this is where it gets a little silent. All right. But let me tell you what that's going to go to. We are going to raise $75,000 to go to ministries beyond the walls of this church. We are determined. We are committed to be a ridiculously, radically generous church. And it starts now. It starts when we are small. Okay? If you think, and you may have known this, you don't get more generous the more money you have. It actually becomes harder to give more. And so what we are doing in this church now is we are building a culture of generosity so that in 10 years when we are giving away millions of dollars, nobody's shocked by it. It's just part of the culture. So 75,000 are going to go to ministries outside the walls of church. We're going to help plant churches. We're going to support uh, ministries to the least of these uh, families who are part of the foster care system and anti-trafficking, disaster relief, refugee ministries. We are committed to being a church in the city for the city. And then the next 75,000 is going to go toward improving facilities here on this campus so that we can reach more people for Jesus and help more people grow in their faith. And improving facilities is not about the building, but it is about recognizing that our value, our venue has something to say about what we value. And so we would love to update a few parts of this property. If some of you are cold this morning, we're going to want to invest in a heater, okay? <laughs> if some of you were hot in the summer, we want to invest in an air conditioning unit. We want to slap some paint around this property to beautify it. There are little things that we can do that we think would make a huge difference in, the way, difference in the way people experience being a part of this community on a Sunday morning. And I know that sometimes people have the thought that I don't need the church to be painted. I'm happy with the way that it is right now. Or I have a jacket and I don't need to be warmed up in service. I'll bring a jacket. I'm good. Or I already know where all the bathrooms are on campus. I don't need new signage. I already have a parking spot that I'm used to. So I'm not worried about creating more parking. If you've had that thought, my response is, then this isn't for you. It is for the new person. 
who has never been to church before, who need clarity about where the bathrooms are or where a kid's ministry if they're parking here for the first time and they don't know where to take their kids. It's for the person who thinks that if a building seems upkept on the outside, it might be unkept on the inside. And so in every way, we're going to go the extra mile to do what we can to create a space for people to connect with God. I remember when Kayla and I were first casting vision to our church uh, that, that we came from, uh, that we were going to plant a church. We had someone come up to us after service and they said, why are you guys going to San Jose to start a church? There are already enough churches in the Bay Area. And I remember how discouraging that was to us. And we started asking ourselves the question, why are we going? If there are already churches there, people don't need us to be there. They'll just go to the other church. But what he didn't know is the same year that he said there were enough churches for people in San Jose was the same year that the San Francisco Bay Area was ranked as the most unchurched region in the entire U.S. There are some of us that may be used to just doing status quo. Yes, it is good enough for all of us who are in the room right now, but it may not be good enough for the people that we still want to reach because there are too many people that are still in our community that do not have a relationship with God. There are too many people that are going to bed every single night, disconnected from their purpose, wondering why they are still here, what the purpose of their life is. There are too many people do, that do not know how valuable their life is to God. And so let's not be a church that lives by the motto, it's good enough for now. We want to be a church that grabs hold of this vision that we are a church for the future. And our vision has always been to reach those who are far from God, disconnected from a relationship that we believe could transform their life. And if you are here today, I just want you to know that you are now here for those who are not here yet. That is your purpose. That is why we meet. We are not a country club and we will never be. We are here on mission for others. I think about all the future generations that our sacrifice in the next month will impact. I think about Enya. You guys ever met Enya, little girl in our, in our kids' ministry? One Sunday in the early days, I was serving there, and I remember just sitting in class watching her respond and engage into the Bible stories that they were teaching. That girl has discernment, and I think about her life, and I'm like, what does God have for her? And then I think about what responsibility does our church play in making sure that she has a place to be a light in our community beyond our lifetime. I think about Tommy and Sopa, and all the life transformation that happened when they stepped foot into Eden and, all, and about all the lives that they are investing in now. I think about Ryan and Heather, disconnected from church but found community in this place, found God in this place. I think about Karina and Milano who were part of Eden, got their lives transformed, and now they're in Oakland helping another church get started. I think about all the people who are still disconnected from God. There's some of us where we have been discouraged. I remember that. I remember in the early days of Eden, we were so stressed out. 
We, I was convinced internally, I don't know if I ever worded this vocally, I was convinced that God was done. That we tried to start this church and it wasn't gaining traction and people weren't coming for a season and there just felt like this turmoil. It got so bad that one Sunday morning at about 3 a.m., I woke up and I thought I was having a heart attack. And, I had, and it was a, a panic attack, but I woke up in the middle of the night. I drove to the emergency room, and I was so embarrassed. The doctor asked me, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. It was embarrassing, right? And then I told him, I said, hey, how long is this going to take? Because i got to go to church in about an hour. And so I literally just snuck out of the emergency room after they did the test. I just took off because I had to go to church. And I'd been, I was so discouraged that Sunday morning. But when I showed up to that parking lot and I saw our team bringing in the trailers and rolling out the carts and getting set up, they had faith when I didn't have faith anymore. And that is what God, I think, is calling us to do is that right now we are a community that gets to have faith for people who don't even know they need God in their lives. And as a church, we don't want to miss that opportunity. We don't want to stop believing that God can and he will. And, and, and this is what I know. If, that God, if God has used previous generations to change the world, why, cannot he, why can't he not use this church for our generation? I know that God has, over the centuries, used ordinary people to do extraordinary things to change the world. Why could God not do it again through this church? I know that God has used so many other churches all over the world to impact their city. Why would God not use our church if we were willing, in faith, to make some sacrificial decisions today because of what we believe God can do in the future? I don't know what that is for you, but over the next 14, ne next month, we're going to be journeying together for God to unearth our faith in this season. And I think that for some of you, you have stepped into this conversation this morning, and maybe you're hearing what we're talking about, and it doesn't resonate, because for some of you, you are trying to figure out what, is that, what does that level of faithfulness look like to you in your life right now? Maybe for you, it is staying faithful on the journey of following God, even though things are getting hard. Maybe for some of you, it is, it is work that needs to be done in your family that you are working to be faithful to. Or maybe it is your career or a relationship. Or maybe for you, it is stepping into relationship with God for the very first time. And I know that some of you have stepped into this room today or tuning in online or outside under the tent, going to bed, asking the same questions, the big questions every night. Why am I here? Where did I come from and where am I going? But the Bible tells us that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. That you were created for a reason and you were created for a purpose and that you were valuable to God and to so many others. But the beginning of faithfulness has to begin with an act of faith. To trust that what God has planned for your life is better than anything that you could ever come up with. And there are some of us in this room that have tried. 
We've tried to satisfy our heart with a bunch of things and we've realized at the end of the day that it doesn't work. And you have come to this place because you are at least open to what God might be wanting you to do in this next season of life. And if that's you this morning, wherever you are, I want to encourage you to consider taking that simple, small step of faith into relationship with God. To consider stepping out of this old life of you doing it on your own and trusting that God can do it better than you can. And the Bible says that all we have to do is to believe that God loved us enough to send his son to sacrifice his life on the cross for our sins. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage everyone in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and we're going to pray this prayer in your heart and it's nothing to do with the prayer but everything to do with whether or not the words are a reflection of where you are in your life. And so let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And this morning, if you want to open up your heart to what God might do inside of you, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Even when I didn't love myself. Thank you for looking out for me and protecting me so that I can be in a moment like this where I am reminded of your love and your sacrifice for my sake. Today, I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. And I'm ready to step out in faith for what you have for me. This morning, I want to receive the gift of salvation. I want your spirit to change me from the inside out. Today, I want to begin following your son, Jesus Christ. I want to step out of the old life and into the new. Would you give me the strength to follow you in the days to come? In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I want to encourage those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to just quickly raise your hand up so that we know what God is doing in this place. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Any others? If you prayed that prayer, raise your hand. Let us know what God is doing in this place. If you're online, go ahead and write amen in the chat. We have a team of volunteers that want to help you take a next step. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for every life that has been a part of this conversation. God, we know you have so much more. Not more for us to do, but for, more for us to become. And I pray, God, this morning that you would begin to form in us a life of faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, would you guys do me a favor and let's show some love to every person who made a decision this morning to begin following Jesus. We want to celebrate that. We are so excited about this next year and the vision for 2022. And something that we know is that if we are going to see the life transformation here in the Bay Area that we dream about and that we pray about, that it is going to start 
when we are on our knees asking God to move here in the Bay Area, he is moving and he's already been working. That's right. And he's going to continue to do that. And we just want to be a part of it. We want Eden to be on this journey of faith together. And so thank you for being here today. My friend Sopa is going to share a little bit more about the next 14 days together. Yes, I'm so excited. You might have seen this booklet when you walked into service this morning. It was on every single chair. And if you're watching on Church Online, we got you. You can see a digital version of this at eden.church future. I am so excited because we are going to do 14 days of prayer and fasting together as a church. And so, I know, I'm excited. And I thought it would be great to walk you through this booklet and what you can expect. So when you open up the booklet, you'll see a letter, and that's a letter from Daniel and Kayla. And then you'll see a snapshot of 2021 and all of the awesome things that you all have been doing in this church and our community. And if you keep going through the booklet, you'll see 14 days of prayer. And it's a picture of our worship team and it says 14 days of prayer. So I'm gonna take you through what you're gonna do for this next 14 days. So you'll see day one, and it looks like this. And day one says, a church prayer for fresh faith. And so I'm excited about this. We're gonna do something different this morning and I'm gonna need all of your help. So this is what we're gonna do, you guys. After this service, we're gonna go through this guide during the week. And so I thought I could read today's verse and then we can all pray out loud together. So I know this is different, but I feel like it's gonna be really special. And we're all gonna be praying out loud together. And the verses, not the verses, the prayer will be up on the screen behind me as well. So sound good? You guys ready to do this? We're gonna pray together? Okay, all right, so I'll read. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Isaiah 43, verse 19. And so let's do this, church. Let's pray together. The prayer should be behind you. All right, let's pray. God, your goodness went before us. Your faithfulness covered us. Your love strengthened us and you changed lives. Will you do it again? Will you give us fresh faith to be the church you dreamed we could become? Will you give us fresh vision to be the church for the future? Amen. Yes. 